Welcome, everybody, to Soccer 101. My name is Taylor Rockwell, and I am very excited to be here today to talk about a topical topic that we will attempt to make evergreen, but it's the Africa Cup of Nations. Graham Ruthven, are you excited both for this conversation and for the tournament to begin? Hello, Taylor Rockwell. Yes, I am very excited for, for AFCON. I think AFCON is, is, is a great tournament. There's no denying there's a layer of kind of curiosity, if mm-hmm. that's the right right yeah. word, that isn't always delved into by uh, Western media outlets. So we'll we'll do a bit of that, hopefully, on uh, this episode. We will. Uh, and we'll talk maybe about why that's the case uh, and the way the tournament gets covered. But first, let's talk about the tournament itself. AFCON, Africa Cup of Nations, has been around for a good chunk of time, Graham. But learning about the history of the tournament was pretty interesting uh, because I didn't. I don't think I knew a lot about CAF, mm. uh, the African Federation. I certainly didn't know the founding members. Are you familiar? The the four countries you mean uh-huh. that were yeah so it is uh, it's Egypt mm-hmm. it is uh, I like South Africa <laughs> yeah <laughs> uh, there's somewhere in my notes here so yeah. it's uh, Egypt Sudan Ethiopia South Africa mm-hmm. uh, South Africa were meant to take part in the first yeah. uh, Afcon in 1957 but uh, refused to field a, a mixed race team due to apartheid and were uh, suspended and banned from that tournament but those were the first four founding members yep and then. I don't know if they were banned from that point on, but definitely banned until 1996 uh, when they are 94 and then they host in 96. But I would say that's a justifiable ban. And then there Mm. are really interesting permutations to this tournament because it expands. They have uh, teams drop out at various points. And then there's a rule that lasts for about 20 years that you can only field two overseas players. I don't really think that would be particularly popular these days. I think certain nations would be fine with it. But I think with the way we've had the talent sort of flood into Europe and, and, and elsewhere around the world. I don't know how many teams would be in favor of that rule still existing. No, I don't think so. You you also have the... So, of course, um, AFCON is African football's regional international mm-hmm. tournament. So it's the African equivalent of the Euros or the Copa America or the Gold Cup, etc. But CAF actually has a, a, another regional international tournament called the African Nations Championship, which is the same thing. Uh, countries from Africa compete against each other, but it's for domestic-based players. So players who play for African clubs, essentially. So um, I think maybe that fills the, the gap that... AFCON used to uh, occupy with the the overseas rule, you still have that competition between African nations to decide essentially which country has the best domestic landscape mm-hmm. at any given time. So there, there, there are two, that's maybe a, a slight oddity with African football, there are the, the two championships that sit side by side. And so with the Africa Cup of Nations, we get a tournament that I would say is probably the third most prestigious when you're, when you're talking about regional competitions. I think the Euros obviously tends to get a lot of coverage, a lot of interest, has a lot of names, has a lot of participants. And then I think like there's a, maybe an argument that it's closer uh, w- with Common Bowl and with Copa America. But I think when you have Brazil and Argentina, yeah. that's sort of always going to reign supreme or at least reign secondary. Yeah, I think so. I, I think there's an argument to be made. Of course, Common Bowl doesn't have many member yeah. uh, nations. What is it, like 10 or something like that? Yep. It's, not, it's not many at all. Um, so you could argue that CAF certainly has greater depth than Comnibal does, but you're right. Argentina and Brazil being in Comnibal, they're the, the two of the most romantic nations, two of the strongest nations in an, in an international sense. And CAF, while it does have strength, um, a, a few heavyweights in there, you know, Egypt, Nigeria, Cameroon, Senegal, etc. Nobody quite up to that level yet. That's always the thing with African football, right? Is there are countries 
Nigeria, I think, has a population of over 200 million. Mm-hmm. Um, there are countries within Africa, Af- African football that you could maybe project in decades to come being at that level. But to date, for several reasons, geopolitical and economical and everything like that, mm-hmm. it hasn't quite come to pass yet. Uh, mentioning the geopolitical, economic, historical issues is where I feel a need to note that we are obviously two uh, white dudes talking about African football, and we're going to go into some of the history and some of the kind of reasons why maybe people don't watch or are less familiar. And I think it's worth holding our hands up that like we are not claiming to be experts on African football or the history thereof, nor are we experts on the history and geopolitics of the continent and all the the many different countries and the many different incidents and histories throughout the centuries. Uh, But I think we have to kind of do our best at at wading into that because in my mind, a lot of the history of the Africa Cup of Nations is sort of turbulence. And maybe that's a wrong way to start, but, but it is the truth that I feel like we get hosts that then have to drop out for political reasons, be they like infighting civil war or just economic reasons they can't afford to host the tournament or you'll get issues with ebola in the past and outbreaks and so you do have in my mind a little bit more turbulence than you do in in maybe other federations around the world or confederations around the world and then you combine that with when the tournament is hosted and the issues with, with weather and we've had tournaments played in pouring rain for the entirety of the tournament we've had tournaments moved and host nations changed because of rainy seasons so there is, I think, more of a historical turbulence to the tournament that sort of does, yeah. I think, impact the way it is covered and uh, discussed, basically. Another thing to mention is Africa is an absolutely huge continent. Yes. I, 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 that might sound like stating yes. the obvious, but even if you have looked at a map, it doesn't quite... Well, I, I, there's a term that's used to describe this, but basically the, because of the curvature of the Earth and Africa being over the, the equator, even if you look at a standard map, the one that's like adopted by the Western world yep. generally and has been for decades, it actually shows Africa as smaller than it is. I was listening to an interview from a, 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 an African journalist, African football journalist, who was in... I want to say he was in Algiers, um, which is uh, Tunisia, right? It's, it's, uh, Algeria, excuse me, um, big mistake there. But he was saying that he was he was closer to London, uh, who the interview was being conducted by someone in London. He was closer to London than he was to like the midpoint of, of Africa, mm-hmm. which kind of just blew my mind completely that that was the case. But Africa is a giant, giant, giant continent. That's part of the magic of CAF is that I th- I think there is greater variance in the African Cup of Nations than there is in maybe the Euros, where there's a bit more you know homogenous style of play and in 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 Africa in the Africa Cup of Nations in a footballing sense and a cultural sense, there's great variance between cultures and climates, mm-hmm. and obviously you factor in the economic challenges that a lot of countries face in in Africa, and that just makes things like logistics and travelling to these tournaments. I was reading that this tournament because it is in Ivory Coast and you have maybe some of the more traditional soccer nations around Ivory Coast they're expecting more away fans to to travel to this tournament than in maybe past iterations where I think Cameroon was a little bit more difficult for for away fans to get to so there are whole different considerations with with uh, with AFCON that maybe we don't we don't have to factor in with the Euros or even Copa America yeah Graham to your point about the size uh, and I think you made multiple great points in there but there's a great map that illustrates this I think within uh, the kind of size of Africa, you could fit the UK, Japan, all of China, all of India, all of Eastern Europe, Italy, Switzerland, Germany, France, Belgium, Spain, Portugal, and the United States and still have room to spare. It is 
massive, 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 massive. And so, yeah, you're totally right that that leads to, I think, uh, some, sometimes you don't have teams participating. Sometimes you have, uh, like host nations having to change and you don't have it as well attended. Sometimes it's better attended, but I think it also opens it up to, I think more shifting in the dominant teams. Cause I, I think sort of in reading the more recent history, it's easy to think it's sort of a tournament tournament that's dominated by one team for a little while, then another team for a little while, then another team. It does seem like it, it shifts around a lot more. You get different winners, I feel like, more regularly than you do in other regional competitions. Like the Gold Cup, you're basically getting USA or Mexico. Copa America, you tend to get Brazil or Argentina, maybe Uruguay or Chile thrown in there. But with, with, with AFCON, it does change a bit more, though you do have a few teams who have sort of risen to the top and been dominant for large chunks. Egypt would be the one that I think most people think of when yeah. it comes to AFCON dominance. Yeah, so Egypt, they have, uh, they've won more AFCON titles than any other, any other country. They've won it seven times in total. They won it, uh, most recently in 2010. That was actually a third straight AFCON title. They did, they pulled off the three-peat. That is rare though. You're right, Taylor. Um, they dominated the 2000s. They're runner-up in 2021 as well. Lost to Senegal and, and, and penalties and, in the final, I mentioned this in the main show. Egypt are a bit of a weird one in that they underachieve at, at the World Cup where they haven't made it out of a group stage since the 1930s but kind of turn it on for AFCON almost every every single time. Then you have Cameroon on five titles, their most recent being in 2017. Then Ghana on four, Nigeria on three, Ivory Coast, Algeria, DR Congo are on two, and then Zambia, Tunisia, Sudan, uh, Senegal, Ethiopia, Ethiopia, uh, Morocco, South Africa, and Congo all have one afcon title uh the defending champion senegal they won it for the first time in 2021 which was a big deal given the the football and quality and, and and prominence of that country but you're right if you look at the last seven afcons uh, i'm just doing making sure there's not a doubler here yeah there's that's there, seven different countries that have mm-hmm. won it in the last seven iterations you have egypt in 2010 then it's uh, zambia nigeria ivory coast cameroon uh, Algeria and uh, Senegal, the last seven tournaments. So yeah, it does seem like retaining this uh, this trophy is a little bit more challenging than it is in other tournaments. So that would be the the countries that have had success, the countries that have participated. Graham, when you think about the individual players, who are some players that stand out as being AFCON legends in your mind? Okay, so let's start off with the goal scorers first of all, right? So Samuel Eto is the AFCON that is the correct answer by the way mm-hmm. yep <laughs> he's the, the 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 AFCON all-time top goal scorer so he scored 18 goals in 29 games for Cameroon over six different tournaments not bad Samuel not bad at all <laughs> uh I'm going to go through some because there are some names here that I am not terribly familiar with and maybe listeners are not terribly familiar with because they're they're from kind of decades ago but I'll go through some recognizable names in the goal scoring list to start with so Didier Drogba is fifth in this list with 11 goals for Ivory Coast never won AFCON though uh, they won it after he uh, he retired so that that's uh, a shame for Didier uh, there are a good number wrong. of yeah, it does feel wrong. There's a, a good number of active players in this list. So Andre Ayew is, is is joint sixth with 10 goals for Ghana. Vincent Abubakar is just behind him on nine. Sadio Mane on eight. So there's a very good chance that he climbs this list at, at this AFCON. Salah only being on six is slightly surprising to me, particularly because he's scored at three different tournaments. But I remember the last AFCON, he was a bit more of a creator than a finisher. So I guess that uh, makes some sense. And then, of course... These are only the legends that appear on the all-time scoring list. So some other names. Uh, George Weah, interestingly enough, widely considered the greatest African player in history, never really made much of an impact 
on AFCON. Obviously, you know, playing for Liberia might have been yeah. a, a factor there, not having <laughs> much so. pedigree. Yeah, it's a little bit like the George Best uh, Northern mm-hmm. Ireland sort of situation there, or Ryan Giggs in Wales or, or whatever. Um, but still, he's not on this list uh, of goal scorers. Roger Miller uh, certainly has or did make an impact on, on AFCON. He was the top goal scorer at the 1986 and 1988 AFCONs for Cameroon. Uh, Ahmed Hassan was a key figure for Egypt when they did the three-peat that I talked about in the 2000s. He was a, a player of the tournament in 2006 and 2010. Abedi Pele was a, an AFCON icon for, for Ghana in the 90s. I'll remember, I always remember Abedi Pele. He was part of FIFA do like the Legends teams. That was like my first exposure to Abedi mm-hmm. Pele. Was like, he was always fantastic in like FIFA 2006 or so, FIFA 2010 or something like that. But uh, yeah, he uh, was a a, 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 a Profound figure for Ghana in the, in the 90s, really turned it on in successive tournaments around that period. And then for Nigeria, JJ Akocha. Thank you. He it took won, you entirely too long to get to JJ Akocha, <laughs> He won the 94 AFCON, widely considered within Nigeria anyway, to be their, their, their best ever player. So there are some names that are synonymous with uh, African Cup nations. He is my second favorite player of all time. That is why really? I, I am so... Yeah, I, I. it's largely self-serving because it's his move where you roll it and then step over and like hard step one way and then go the other is the first move that I could successfully pull off that like somebody right. somebody else did. I'm not really good at, at the moves, so to speak. But that one made me happy. And JJ Okocha, a man so good they named him twice. You got to love him. Uh, and the fact that he did win uh, one tournament. Yeah, I think of him as... A legend. I do think of Roger Mila as one, even though he only won it once, right? Is that what you said? Um, I think so, yeah. I'd need to double check that. Um, He's also one who, I think, because of the success that Cameroon team had uh, at the World Cup, I think maybe also looms larger on the World Cup stage as well. He's he's a crossover hit, is I guess what I would say. Um, if Vincent Abubakar... What's that? 84 he won it twice? And, okay. Yeah, 84 and 88. But yeah, Roger Mila, he has iconography if that's the right word kind of transcends even what he what he achieved he achieved a lot on the pitch but he was kind of like an eye one of the first real icons along with george Weah, i would say it was like one of the first real icons of of african football looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone luckily with 24 7 us-based live customer service from discover everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime day or night yep you heard that right you can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. So we're recording this uh, a few days in advance of the start of the 2023 AFCON, which of course takes place in 2024. Graham, are there players that you think are like, I don't even know if it's going to like cement their legacy. I don't know if they can raise their estimations, but just like who are the players that you think of as that we will look back on as being dominant players that are participating in this tournament? Like I would say Mohamed Salah is the number one that jumps off the list yeah. for everything he's done at club. And then uh, ideally we'll do for country this time around. Yeah. The thing about Salah is he's sort of in a, he's in a little bit of a Lionel Messi pre 2022 world cup situation where Egyptian fans, uh, I was listening to a, a, a an Egyptian journalist talk about this. If you ask Egyptian fans, they'll recognize that Mohamed Salah is the best Egyptian player of all time. But you ask them who the greatest is, and they'll say someone like Abutrika, who who who's won several Afghan. Salah has never won 
and Africa Cup of Nations. You, you mispronounced uh, Amirzaki, but sure, go ahead. Okay, sure. Yeah, he's second in the list, of course. It's Abitrika, Amirzaki, and then yeah, it's uh, Salah third. But if he wins, if he wins this Afcon, then I think it's it's it is similar to the Messi winning in Qatar for Argentina, where I think he just becomes untouchable. It's kind of like the last thing mm-hmm. on his career list. You know, he's won a Premier League, he's won a Champions League, he's done everything in Liverpool at club level. He's a, he's taken Egypt to a World Cup, which was a big thing for them qualifying for the for the World Cup. So winning Afcon is kind of the, the the final frontier for him. So that's certainly up for grabs for him at this tournament. I think obviously Sadio Mane played a big role in winning the last one for Senegal, winning uh, scoring the winning penalty, if I seem to remember correctly. But if he were to win it again and kind of turn Senegal into a bit of a dynasty that African football hasn't really seen since mm-hmm. since Egypt in the 2000s. And I think that maybe just pushes him up the list a, a, a little bit more. Beyond those two players, I'm kind of I'm kind of struggling. Like Abubakar, yeah, and from a goal-scoring perspective, if he was to bag a few more, he's very consistent, then he would start to get into the realm of that discussion. But I don't know, you know, Vincent Abubakar, would we really consider no. him on the same level as Mane or Salah? I, or even if the numbers put him up there? I, I almost yeah. think of him as kind of like... If we're going to compare to the Euros, which I don't know if we should do that very often, but like a a Miroslav Klose sort of figure where he is just very consistent Mm -hmm. at scoring goals in big tournaments. That's a very good comparison. I like that a lot, Graham. Uh, The other one I think could maybe, maybe is already at that level or getting to that level, but hasn't had obviously the joys necessarily for club or country, would be maybe Victor Osimhen, because we talked about this on the main show Nigeria have so much attacking firepower, but then just get progressively weaker the further back you go, uh, mm. that if they were to make a deep run of this tournament, I do think it's because they're basically scoring a ton of goals and just overpowering teams. And so if he is the player who's scoring five goals in the group stage and leading Nigeria out in comfortable fashion, that I think does sort of raise him in my mind because he's been so good for Napoli, but it's a Napoli team that were so good. And then now this season, very much underperforming. It seems like there's a lot of chaos behind the scenes. Uh, He's been involved in some drama is presently involved in some drama. So I think for him to then go to Nigeria and have a strong tournament would just give that, that bit more stability to his career, to my understanding of his career, basically. Yeah. He can become Nigeria's next true superstar. He might already be yeah. that that figure at club level, certainly, but for the international, for the national team, um, Nigeria, you could argue, are kind of the great underachievers of Afcon. I know they've won it three times; they're on that list. But as I mentioned, they've got a population of over two hundred million. That's the largest population of any African nation by a, a long, long way. It's like double um, any any anyone near them. I think Egypt is the only country with a higher GDP than Nigeria as well. So I'm not saying there aren't economic constraints, but maybe in a logistical sense and an investment sense, Nigeria has has a little bit more to, to put into grassroots football than other countries. So the fact that they, you know, Egypt has won it seven times and Nigeria's only won it three and hasn't won it, they've won it once since 1994, I believe, that is a record that they feel needs to improve. I think with some justification, they feel that way. And if Victor Osman fires the, 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 them to a title, fires the Super Eagles to a title, then yeah, he becomes a, an icon, a legend actually in, in that country. Two more areas I, I want to cover. Uh, the first would be discussing maybe the coverage at present, maybe the present and future of the tournament. Because for as much as it, as it is a fascinating tournament with with teams that we don't know much about and then teams that we know a lot about and, and individual stars along the way, it's one that really does not get that much attention. And I think back to even tournament like maybe 
two or three tournaments ago, like you'd be hard pressed to find more than a few journalists on the ground or Western journalists that is on the ground covering the tournament. Uh, I think only recently was it a, was it more uh, easy to watch at Fubo is how we we watched the last couple. And so it doesn't feel like one that has always gotten the attention, the coverage that it deserves especially when you look at some of the names that are playing in it. And if you assembled a, a best 11 from any given tournament, you're getting a best 11 that can, I, I, say, I would say, go to toe with UEFA, go, go toe to toe with Comable. Yeah, I think one of the big factors here with, with AFCON is the scheduling, right? The fact that it happens in the, the middle of the season. Um, I don't know if that's a problem or not. It creates a tension with some clubs who have to let go of their players for a tournament at arguably the biggest busiest time of the year for them joe made the point in in the main show that calf should just do what suits calf and i kind of align with joe on 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 that belief you know this is this is the 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 confederational tournament for the biggest continent in the world like it matters can i give you my my somewhat hot take on this okay it's my favorite thing about cup of nations that it takes place in january february it's absolutely my favorite thing because it's the point in the season when i feel like even if we get the bundesliga coming back and there are interesting narratives it's sort of where i start i think i i usually in january i'm a little bit like eh, like we're not close to the end of the season like man city are gonna win it byron's gonna win it whatever like i don't know it's just it, it's easy to get sort of lost in the shuffle of the yeah. every week it's the same like you know you've got the same competitions the same players playing and i love just this sort of wrench thrown into it of number one that you're getting some of the best players leaving their clubs that's interesting but also just to have an international tournament and an exciting international tournament where you get like big results at any given moment uh that it happens in the middle of the season it's just a nice like distraction almost and i think if they did it in the summer you're always then going to run up against other tournaments where it's just going to feel like you're overbooked yeah from my personal perspective there's two factors one Sterling Albion don't tend to have many players called up to AFCON. Yep. Like, I think it's numbers in the single figures for us this season, you know, players that are off to, to AFCON this year. Have you uh, ever had no, one? No, I don't think so, no. There's a four for Athletic player away to AFCON this year with uh, Tanzania, which is quite interesting. But, uh, and number I two... How, I love how, like, blase you said that while say, saying it was interesting. <laughs> that's interesting to me. You yeah, know, there's a player, not, he's playing there, it's interesting, whatever. Anyway, yeah. go ahead. Yeah. Um, number two is... I'm never going to complain about more interesting football being on the TV. Like, oh, there's more interesting soccer games on the TV for me to watch in January, yeah, right. which is like the worst month of the in February, the two wor- worst months of the year. So yeah, I I I don't really care, but I I do think it is a factor. Um, well, there's two sides to this argument, right? I think it's a fact. It's it's it could be a factor in why maybe coverage in a Western sense isn't afforded to Afcon in the way that it should because obviously there's just more there's things going on. The Premier League is ongoing. The FA Cup is ongoing. The leagues in Europe are ongoing. They just continue. But then they played the 2019 Afcon in the summer, so CAF signaled this change where they they relented and they buckled to outside pressure, and they decided they were going to have they were going to make the Afcon a, a, a summer tournament like most other international tournaments i don't really remember the coverage being like that much easier to come by it didn't feel that much more prominent in 2019 so i don't think that made much of a a, a difference and um, we should mention why it happens at this this time of year so cl- the, the climate essentially across africa is is can be difficult there are several countries where 
it just isn't possible and then you see with Ivory Coast even when it's not the heat it's the rainy season that's why it's happening in in January this month it's been pushed back so extreme weather makes that difficult um but then I guess a lot of the domestic leagues in Africa as well play through the summer so there's a little bit of a contradiction there but yeah at the same time like this becomes a lot harder of an argument for FIFA and other uh, and other sort of like organizations when we've now had the World Cup move to the winter. A lot harder to be yeah. like, no, it is like we we have to, your tournaments have to be played in the summer. What do you mean accommodating for weather and climate and ridiculous heat? Uh, yeah, I, I don't think they can really make that argument as convincingly quite. Yeah. Quite I now. also think there was a there was a bit of pride factored into why CAF were so reluctant to change the scheduling of mm-hmm. AFCON because football is so Eurocentric mm-hmm. and African football gets dictated to all the time and even when they change it to the summer, it doesn't really get the mainstream coverage that it deserves. Um, so I do think there was an element of kind of digging the heels in as well, and I, I say more power to them for doing that. But I guess there is also a practical side to, to consider, and maybe there is this drive. I didn't get a chance to mention this on the main show, but I find African football really interesting right now because there is a movement across CAF to kind of increase revenue and create competitions that maybe do get that mainstream glare. The, the African Super League, it didn't happen in Europe, but it's happening in Africa. It's called the African Football League. It started in October. And um, so that is an interesting backdrop to this tournament is CAF and African football as, as a whole, as big as it is, um, is kind of considering the commercial side of things. So so maybe after this, in fact, I think the plan is after the, this AFCON to move it back to the summer. And if that gets a few more eyes on it, then I don't know, maybe that's the right thing to do. I also, if we're talking about maybe why we enjoy this tournament for a moment, which is the final thing I wanted to get to, why, why we personally enjoy it, why we're excited to watch it. Graham, I know you're going to be doing a lot of coverage uh, for this iteration. I think I really enjoy that it, like, truly seems to matter <laughs> to the participants, which is maybe a silly thing to say about a, a tournament where you have nations competing. But I think if you are competing in the Euros and if you're winning the Euros, there is a strong chance that you can be competing in a World Cup and potentially win a World Cup. I would say the same goes for Copa America. But at time of recording, we've only had World Cup winners from Europe and from South America. And so I, I think if you are not from one of those two continents, you're uh, – your regional, uh, your confederations tournament takes on a bit more importance in certain ways. I don't think that's the case for CONCACAF. I'm not sure the U.S. is ever lifting the gold cup and feeling like we're one step away from the World Cup. I think the same goes for Mexico. I'll hold my hand up and say I know less about the AFC. I don't know how much how much teams really prioritize winning that. Um, but this feels like the one until we get an Africa team winning the World Cup, and I don't know when that will ever happen. This feels like a tournament that is the most important for a lot of these nations competing that going to the world cup is huge. The money that comes from it, the exposure that comes from it. But I don't think many African teams are going to the world cup thinking we have a shot to win this. Whereas winning, winning AFCON, it, it is the same thing in the sense that you're getting uh, like a lot of exposure. You're getting in front of at least some eyes, uh, but it is also an opportunity for glory and for cementing your, status with your national team and with uh, Africa as a whole. So yeah. I just feel like it, it is a tournament that has a lot of significance to the continent itself, which isn't always the case with other competitions of uh, similar standing. 
Yeah, and, and AFCON, it played a, the creation of AFCON played a really important role in the unification of African yeah. football as a whole. There's a kind of political side of, of AFCON and, I don't want to say Afcon stopped apartheid or anything like that, but the pre- there was a little bit, you know, a little bit of pressure from CAF in terms of banning South Africa and the pressure applied on South African government, and so there are kind of political influences there that have that have, you know, I guess changed lives in in, in Africa. Yeah. I, I also think I can't. Sorry, I just got to interject to say I cannot believe, like. I did not know the history of the tournament, did not know the initial tournament. The idea that one of the founding members is like immediately kicked out. It's just it's just nuts to me. But like, I don't know how often that happens in history. Like, I feel like there are there are plenty of realities in which that South Africa team are allowed to compete because, hey, you're one of the four founding members. Like even right there, that just that's just such a fascinating thing that you're a founding member. Oh, but we're kicking you out because you're racist. Like, it's it's just it takes it to the next level for me. Uh, like, and and those types of moments, I think, are so important and and kind of beautiful. Yeah, and and sport again. I don't want to overplay the role of sport too much, but as I understand it, sport sure in South Go Africa ahead. it did kind of play a role. Like the nineteen ninety nine Rugby mm-hmm. World Cup, yeah. uh, which I know is post apartheid, but it, you know, it, it, it's such an important moment in South African uh, in, in South African history. And so, yeah, I think Afcon played a small role there in 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 changing uh you know south african history there are also like the libyan civil wars like certain certain uh, ways that afcon played a role there and and i i think also in africa and african football a lot of fans maybe don't have the the vehicle to represent themselves that maybe fans around the world and and europe do and this this is kind of a, a a way for them to 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 do that um and so that i, I just love the kind of energy around AFCON and it does kind of feel unique in the in in the global football landscape. So yeah, I'm I'm a massive fan of it. And it's kind of African football is a little bit different in that I was listening to a journalist talk about this, so I don't think I'm coming from this uh, coming at this from a point of ignorance. But you know, the rivalries are deep and they're entrenched and they matter, but there's also like a camaraderie be- camaraderie between mm-hmm. countries as well. Like for instance, when Morocco made the semi-finals of the World Cup fans from other countries support them in their games and I, I just don't think that really exists in in in, in other um, kind of confederations so yeah it's 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 a unique tournament and yep. a unique landscape in african football and uh you can scroll way way back in this feed to find the episode i did about dda drogba uh ending a civil war in in the ivory coast which i think my my takeaway is it's exaggerated, but also kind of not exaggerated. So the role that football has played in African politics and society uh, and history uh, cannot be overstated. And I would also emphasize that, uh, to your point earlier, George Weah playing for Liberia, uh, at least a good chunk of that is playing while uh, Char- Charles Taylor is the, I would say, dictator, um, who then gets uh, charged with crimes against humanity. Uh, like I think you contrast that with the president of Liberia now, is George Weah. So, like, right there, I think you yeah. can see that, like, the, the role that footballers can have in the politics, uh, of their nations. So, uh, it, I don't know if we're gonna get, like, Mohamed Salah one day leading Egypt, uh, as a country, but we will get him leading the attack for Egypt in this tournament. And that has me, uh, hyped, yeah. even if it is a Liverpool player. It's an opportunity to get to root for a Liverpool player. Otherwise, I never would. He's already the Egyptian king. He's he's above president in in that in that level. Props to you for not saying Pharaoh. Well done, Graham Ruthven, for that <laughs> and many other things on this episode. Any other points to make before we call this one one oh one? 
no, just watch AFCON. It's a great tournament. Yeah. If you haven't watched it before, you will enjoy it. You'll enjoy the games. You'll enjoy all the kind of social media stuff and off the field things as, as, as well. So yeah, I would just highly recommend getting tuned in to AFCON over the next month. Yeah, we are. Uh, well, Graham Ruffin, thank you very much for all of your research and efforts today. Thank you, Taylor Rockwell. Listeners, thanks so much for listening. I will echo Graham's sentiment that you should watch AFCON and you should also tell your friends about Soccer 101. We would greatly appreciate it and we'll talk to you next week. 